Would you open your Bibles if you have them with you or grab one in the pew to Genesis chapter 12. I would like us to look at the story of Abraham. The story of Abraham is an amazing story. We're going to look at that if you might find it on page 8 if you pulled out one of the Bibles that are there. It's going to be on the screen so you can follow along. Genesis chapter 12 begins an amazing story, a long story. Verse 1, and the Lord said to Abraham, you notice it says Abram, God hadn't changed his name to Abraham yet at this part of the story, but and the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now you should know something about that text right away. It doesn't say it in there, but the problem why God was pulling and asking Abraham to move away from his family, to take him up from his roots, is because his family was mixing the religions of the world around with worship to the true God. There was kind of a mixture within the family, and it was unholy. And God saw that in order to show respect for the father and for the family, it would be better if Abram would move and take his household to go somewhere else. And so he told his old Abraham, you need to move. You need to make that part. Verse 2, and I will make you a great nation was the promise. In that day, that was something that you would find that people say, ah, my inheritance, thy Finally, I will be a great nation. I doubt if any of you have been looking to become a great nation. Have you? Have you thought, well, that would be neat. I could be a great nation, all a family after me. Uh, I've never prayed that prayer or thought that I should have a family. It would be the great, a great nation. But in that day, that was important. And for him to get that promise from God that he would be a great nation was an amazing, amazing thing to have happened to him. And so he's going on, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And that's why we're talking about it so many thousands of years later. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. A blessing will come from you. We have a song in our hymnal called Faith of Our Fathers. It's in lots of uh, church hymnals, different, different denominations. That old hymn describes particularly uh, the fathers who were involved with the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, who carried on. But it also has an indication in there about those of old. The faith of our fathers went back from Adam to his son Seth, down to Enoch, down to Methuselah that we talked about last week, and Noah, down to Shem, the son, and then into Abraham. God's faithful remnant was always there. No matter what was going on in the world around, no matter what was happening with society, and no matter the religions that were present, there was always a place, there was always a group, a remnant that came out. We tend to think of the remnant at the end of the world. There was a remnant from the very start. From the very, we can find the remnant in the Old Testament as well as in the New. Well, Abraham was part of that heritage. He was part of that Deal. He was part of the remnant that came out of there. And why was that so? Why did he call him out? Why did God call Abraham and says, leave all of your family, go to someplace else? Why did you go that? Why did he choose Abraham? Because Abraham did not worship idols. Idol worship was coming in, creeping in to the family that Abraham was involved with. Because it was everywhere, everywhere where you look. There it was. Going on, verse 3. And I will bless the, those that bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse you. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
I have uh, been thinking about over the past how the Jewish people have provided such wonderful things to society and to humanity. They have done many great, wonderful things and still do to this day. But the promise that was given to Abraham goes beyond just science, goes beyond literature or music or things. It goes beyond that. It talks about the heritage of the blessed Redeemer. The Savior of the world will come down through the seed of Abraham. And that is where all of us get blessed, the coming world. So, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Would you? Well, I don't know. I don't know if I go. Pastors get calls to go different places. I certainly have in my years of pastoring a call to go here, go there. Um, and um, it's tempting for a pastor to um, have a checklist of, well, does it meet what I'm looking for? Um, there's a book out by Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson wrote um, the thoughts about in the Message Bible. If you have read the Message Bible, Eugene Peterson was the one who wrote that paraphrase. Well, he wrote a book entitled, one of the many books he wrote, one of the books he wrote was entitled Under the Unpredictable Plant. And it was the story of Jonah and him sitting out there. And he asked, and as I was reading this, he was challenging all those us who are in professional ministry. He was asking us and saying to us, would you go to Nineveh? Uh, do they have a school there for my kids? What's the housing situation? Uh, is there grocery stores there? Can I afford it? I've been called to a place one time. I was called to go to, uh, some people called to go to Santa Barbara. <laughs> no way could I afford to live in Santa Barbara, California at the time. There's just no way. So I knew that wasn't from the Lord. <laughs> so there is that temptation about it. You know, I, I don't know. Would you go? Would you respond and say, uh, the Lord, you need to pick up your stuff and go. Would you go? Would you that? Hebrews 11 talks about this, a great faith chapter in Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Even though he didn't know where he was going. He obeyed and went. Which is rather stunning, isn't it? We don't go anywhere today without knowing where we go. We just don't show up at the airport and say, I'd like to buy a ticket, or where would you like to go? It doesn't matter. I just want to go. Well, maybe some of you do that, but I don't. I, I look for a place. I gotta, I'm heading for this place, and I want to get a ticket to that place. Because we always know where we're going, right? We, we do that. But if God says, I'm going to take you, pack your things, get in our van, let's go, and I will show you on the way where you're supposed to go. And when you get there, I'll tell you. Oh, yeah, right. We don't do that. Okay, back to Genesis chapter 12. Back to Genesis chapter 12. Verse 4. So Abram went, as the Lord told him. And Lot, his nephew, went with him. 
Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He was a middle-aged man at that time. And he took his wife, Sarai. Now, you may have Sarah in your King James Version, Sarai. So he took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions that they had accumulated, and the people that they had acquired. These were servants and part of the staffing that went along with a large family. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And Abram traveled through the land as far as to the site of the great tree of Moriah, which we don't know in Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Canaanites. Not a nice group. The Canaanites were involved with idol worship. But they had taken their worship beyond that. They were doing immoral things, that we would consider, which we will not discuss publicly. But they also were offering their children as human sacrifices. How do you think the God in heaven would perceive that among the people? It'd be so abhorrent to him. No wonder he drove them out. No wonder he didn't like that. The story is just amazing. And so the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. What offspring? We have no offspring. Sarah and I are barren. We don't have any children. But he obeyed anyway. He went. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. Now, Abraham, in the Bible tells us, built several altars all over. And when he traveled from here to there, he built an altar. If something happened there, he built an altar. And they would stand there, and as people would come by later, they would see these altars. Sometimes the Canaanites would come by, and they would see an altar there that was not like theirs. It was common to have an altar, but there you would always have an idol. But when you look at Abraham's, Abraham's had no idol. There was no idol there. They didn't have any carved images or anything. Abraham's was just the stones there. The sacrifice was put upon it. Now, why? Because Abraham knew, even though the Ten Commandments had now written that, the great principle was, thou shalt not have any graven image or any likeness of any kind. Have you ever heard that before? The Second Commandment talks about that. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The First Commandment. Well, why would God not want us to make graven images of him? Why would he not that? Every time you do that, every time you make an idol, every time you make a graven image, every time you do it, you bring God down and try to put him into something. And you cannot gain the eternal God, the God of all, the God over, there is no other gods beside him. You cannot contain him in something of stone or of wood or of picture or whatever. Therefore, every idol created to him becomes a destruction of who God really is. And that's why there's no idol. No idol before him. Because God was too huge. Too big. Well, there are people of faith, you know. The Bible talks about the people of faith, and I've read them. You've heard their stories and read them. Well, you know, these people of faith, these people of faith aren't exactly perfect. Do you know that? I think that's the wonderful thing about the Bible. It it lets us know <laughs> about them. So there was a famine that came in the land. And as the famine came in the land and over there in Canaanite, um, 
Abraham knew he had to do something, and so he packed everybody up and says, all right, we're going to go down into Egypt. If you're going with me to the Middle East, you will get an opportunity to see the same type of tents that uh, Abraham had by the Bedouins that are out there. You can see the fields there. It's just amazing to see that. So he headed to his family. They headed down to Egypt. But when he got to Egypt and he was getting near the border, he knew about the way that Pharaoh and the government there worked. And so he knew that as he's going, he had a problem, and his problem was his wife. And his wife, Sarai, was very beautiful. And he knew that um, if Pharaoh saw her, if he got word of her, he would want her for his wife. Sarai was fair of skin, and in the Egyptian world, that was supposed to be something of value at that time. So he said, Sarai, and he says, well, uh, this is what I'll do. Uh, in order to save my life, in order to save my life, I will, uh, Sarai, I'll say she's my half-sister, because that would be really, really true. It was. So, so he went, and he uh, has half-sister, and he went in there, and sure enough, Pharaoh got word about Sarai, and he, he had her and took her for his wife and brought her in there. Now notice what the Lord did. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. And so Pharaoh summoned Abraham and says, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why didn't you say? She is, uh, why did you say, she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out. You think that was a rather troubling discussion on the way back to uh, Canaan with your wife? <clears throat> I, I don't know, ladies. Um, how would you feel about that? <clears throat> We're married, and... Then you denied I'm your wife to save your own neck? I know how my wife might react. Say, that's enough, bud. See you later. <laughs> but there's another troubling part about that, not only the relationship issue, which at that time, that was not so much a problem as it would be today, at least we think. But there's a second problem with that, and that is that... Abraham didn't tell all the truth, did he? He told a half-truth. What he said, was half-sister, was true. But he didn't bother to share, because he was afraid for his own life, that Pharaoh would take his life. Flawed characters. Human characters. And we forgive Abraham great father of the faith because God forgave him and he built an altar next chapter verse 13 chapter 13 going on in the next chapter we'll look at and he said so Abram went up from uh, Egypt into Negev and he with his wife and everything that he had and Lot went with him and Abraham became very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold but an argument arose an argument arose. 
And the argument that arose was between Lot and Abraham, particularly through their herdsmen, because they had these large herds, and they're all in one's plate, and well, that's your, your, your guys are eating on our side, and, and this whole kind of problem got up, and, and it became a problem. They started fighting among one each other, and blaming each other, and got, got concerned about what was going to happen. And so Abraham, verse 8, so Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. It is not, is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. And if you go to the right, I will go to the left. Now we get a picture of Abraham's character, don't we? Abraham was the senior person. Lot would not have had anywhere near the wealth he'd had if it hadn't been for Abraham, his uncle. Abraham had paved the way for this. Lot kind of tagged along and kind of became a beneficiary of, of what Abraham had done. And so here he is. And now Abraham turns and instead of saying, well, you know, this is mine, this is yours. He turns to Lot and says, you choose. You choose. What do you, what do you want? You choose and I will take what's left. Very humble. And Lot... Lot should have said, oh, no, no, you choose, I will take what's left. He should have done that. Verse 10, Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of Jordan. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Lot chose selfishly. He had his list. He was looking what would benefit him. Where would he like to live? Hmm. And so he chose the Jordan Valley. Now I'm going to show you a little picture here. Sorry, this is so small, but it's the way it is. Jerusalem is up here. Here's the Dead Sea. Here's Qumran, where they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's where they wrote those and put those in the jars. Bethlehem, Engedi, Masada, and down here, Beersheba. would be right about there. Beersheba, if you were familiar with the expression from Dan to Beersheba, that would be the coming from the top to the bottom of Israel. That was the expression of, that we would use. Beersheba is where you would find Abraham's well which, last time I was there, still had water in it. Little, little city still had water. So if you were to go there, and John, you may get that opportunity, when we stand around, there are cliffs all around, and then it dumps down to the valley. So there's a high area you can look down, and then you can see the banks go down, going down to where the Dead Sea is. That's quite a distance down. It's not just 30 feet. It's quite a distance down. So what would happen is that up here was where Lot and Abraham stood, and they overlooked it. And Lot said, I want this area, 
you can have this area. Now, the water was not there at that time, the lower part. So I want that area down in this lower part down there. That's where I want that. Okay, so they took their flots down there, and there was Sodom and Gomorrah. We're down in that part. Along the top, around the bottom of this, around on either side here, on this area right around, around those cliffs, they had forts, little forts that protected the cities below against marauders that would come. So what happened was when fire came down in Sodom and Gomorrah, that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It also destroyed all those little forts that they had put up on top around the, on the ridge. And it's rather amazing. You can still go find those today. And what has happened is they have gone down and ex looked in the bottom of this water, underneath only about 12 feet of water, and they found Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the remains of the burnt city. So he said, you, you choose, you make your choice. So we all have choices, do we not? We all have choices that we make in life of what we are going to do. What's our agenda? What do we think happened? Now, um, I want to read something. Maybe of you, many of you have read this. This is from Robert Frost, The Road Less Traveled. He was not a contemporary of Lot, so you have to give Lot a break on this. But two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could, to where the bend in the undergrowth. Then took the other, as just as fair, and having perhaps a better claim. Because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as far as that was passing there, had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. And yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I would ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in the wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by, and that made all the difference. And that made all the difference. As we look at his life, Abraham's life, as we look at the choice that Lot made and the offer that was made to him, I'd ask you today, how do you find God's will in your life? How do you find that? When I was in college, and we were training for the ministry. I, all of us were assigned to write a, um, our description of how we gathered that God was calling us to the ministry. And I uh, wrote several pages about my call to the ministry. In actual fact, it was, as I've shared with some of you, that I uh, was a senior in academy and I was not really interested in the church, not interested in doing that, and I got stopped one time when I was goofing around in class by our Spanish teacher, and she said to me, wait after class, I waited, and she stood up to me, and she got really close to me, 
And she said, Bill, when are you going to stop goofing around? I still don't have a good answer for that. But she went on to say, she went on to say, God has something for you to do. You better get doing it. I'd never thought of that. God has something for me, thinking of me to do, something for me to do. So I wrote that down on my paper and I turned that in. I got a C, a C on my paper when it came back. I go, what in the world? I thought my call was good. Evidently, not. But 28 of us graduated from theology at Pacific Union College that year. Two of us are still pastoring. The rest dropped out. So I guess my call was okay. And how did I get here? I came here to retire. It's amazing to me where the Lord has led me over the last years of ministry. I never thought I would stand in Red Square in Moscow. I never thought I would go to Kenya, Africa. I never thought I would go down into Mexico and build a church there. I never thought the Lord would take me many places into Boston, into, into Minneapolis, into Wausau, Wisconsin, into a, and down to a church of five members. It's kind of interesting. I pastored a church of 1,400 members and a church of five members. But in every case, I could see God's hand leading. I ask you and let you, Abraham knew God. He knew God. Therefore, because he knew God, Abraham was listening to God. So he recognized God's voice. Not some kind of phenomena in the nature, not some kind of idol and sparks flying up. He understood the call of God. He understood what it was about. He understood in listening to that, what that thing was about. And so he set off and set his way, and he followed where God called him. The great call of Abraham. Following him where he would go. Not knowing the destination he set out with his flocks, with his family, with his wife, with his nephew. Can you imagine the entourage that this must have been as they were traveling? How are you at listening and discovering God's will for you now? Now. Abraham was 75. I would guess most of you are not quite that old yet. 75. So what would that mean? What would that indicate to you about God's calling for you? My wife, um, I'm sorry she can't be here hardly at all because she travels so much. She's helping uh, people. It's her life dedication as a nurse and to helping people in need. But she went over to Somalia. She went into Mogadishu, and that's when, uh, two weeks later, they dragged the, the Marines through the streets. She was there. It was a war zone, really. 
She went over there to help do triage and to help those who had been wounded. And of course, it made me nervous as anything to have her over in a war zone. She also went to Majuri Sharif. And that was interesting as she was there because uh, one of the warlords took a liking to her. And I wasn't sure I was going to get my wife back. But she's a strong woman. Told him no. She's gone home. She called me one time on the satellite phone. And as we were talking, she says, oh, did you hear that? And I said, well, no, no, I didn't hear anything. Said, a bullet just went by. A bullet? Yes. Are you down? Are you okay? Did you have a helmet on or something? Oh, it's no problem. Oh, good. And I asked her, how can you do that? How can you be over there doing that in the war zones like that? Volunteered. She said, it's because I know I'm where God wants me to be at that moment. There is nothing like that feeling of being where God wanted you at that moment. There's nothing like it. If you've not experienced that, you've got to do it. No matter how old you are, no matter where, God, where would you have me to be? What would you have me to do? And if you listen, he will guide you, and you will find it. And it will be so fulfilling to you. It may be just something here, but God has called you to do that. I'm amazed at what I see people do around here that God is calling them to do. And it thrills me to see that, and I can see their ministries and things developing, and full, because there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. So as Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, send me. I would ask you today, can you say that as well? I guarantee you, if you do, you will be sent. Can you offer that, Lord? If you really want to be fulfilled, say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Dear Father, I thank you for that great, great call that you gave to Abraham. What, a, what an experience for him just to pack up his things and move his family. Just believing in your promise. He trusted you in what you were saying. He trusted that he heard your voice. He trusted in the appearance that you had with him. And now, Lord, you have led him to be the father of a great nation who brought to us the Savior of the world. He was willing to go and to risk. Father, oh, we're not looking to be the father of a great nation, but we do want to be in your will. And so, Lord, maybe there are some here who just need to say, Lord, I am here. Send me. What is it you would have me to do? David, he said, I would be just be happy to be the doorman at the house of the Lord. And maybe it may be a humble thing, but it can be fulfilling because it's in your will. So, Lord, today, here we are. Send us. Amen.